When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Consuelo Hernandez, I am so excited to interview you. First of all, I'm so proud of you. You're 31 years old and you got yourself elected. Wow. That's a wow. And, you know, for all I talk about, especially with Latinas, is finding your voice and knowing that you're supposed to do something with your life and find your purpose. You know, I, I've read so much about you and about your family. You you sound like you have a family that found their voice. Am I right? I would say so. So I, so there's three siblings. I'm Mexican-American. My mom, Consuelo. In Tucson, has Tucson, Arizona. In Tucson, Arizona. My mom's from Nogales, Sonora, which is the border town right next to Arizona. And my dad's from California, but they were a political, but they were always very supportive. Um, growing up, they didn't really know what we were getting involved with. They just knew that we needed a right to get there. And they also knew it was an opportunity for us to get involved outside of our neighborhood. I grew up on the south side of Tucson, which is basically the lower income, mostly Latino, African-American neighborhood area. So for them, it was it was great because they knew that we were doing something that was good, even if they didn't exactly know what was what was happening. My brother, Daniel Hernandez, served on a school board in the district that we graduated from and The reason why he ended up running is because when my sister was a sophomore, she was brutally attacked by two women that mistook her for me because we look alike. They didn't like, they were bullies. They didn't like me. They were supposed to attack me that day, but unfortunately attacked my sister Alma. And through that, back in the day, the school district had a zero tolerance policy and that is pretty typical even now for a lot of school districts. So what happened was my sister went from being a straight A honor student to the next day being kicked out of school through no fault of her own, even if she was just defending herself because they, when the police officer arrived on campus to mediate the situation, he just joined and brutally attacked my sister. So she has severe damage to the left side of her body. She's 30 years old. Um, But that was the reason why my brother ended up running this to change that policy. And back then, my brother got us involved. We were already involved in politics. I started at 15. My sister started at 14. We grew up in a household where Latinas were very respected and women were very respected. So my brother questioned at an early age in high school, like, why don't we have a women president? 
And the teacher that he had told him, because women were too emotional. And back then, Hillary Clinton was running. So that's what struck a chord with my brother. And he got it. He started getting involved, looked up local women who are running for office. And we started at 14 and 15, joining him as volunteers. So we've been, it's been a journey. Um, well, my also, bro- you're, you're, don't leave out that your brother became very famous because yeah. well, first of all, your brother is openly gay. Yes. And, I mean, he's a leader and he yeah, was he- working for Gabby Giffords, right? Yes, correct. And what so, happened? So uh, the first few days on the job as an intern, there was a gunman who showed up at a Safeway, which is a supermarket, and he just started shooting. And my brother was running through when the gunman was shooting to go and give aid to his boss, which was a congresswoman, Congresswoman Giffords at the time. But the bandage that my brother ended up using was Israeli. So somehow through that process, people were curious, like, who's Daniel Hernandez that helped save Gabby Giffords? And people started doing research on my family, and they discovered that on my mom's side of the family from Mexico, they're Jewish. And they were like, oh, he's Jewish. So they were they were so proud, as well as the Latino community. So it was just really interesting how everything kind of came into play because I always knew it. It just, I grew up in a mostly Catholic community and I was involved in programs with Jewish students and I, I would hear them talking about that they didn't want to openly talk about being Jewish or where their Star of David because they were worried about anti-Semitism. So for a lot of kids, young people, to hear that you guys embraced uh, your true identity and your true religion is pretty fascinating. Yeah. In a, in oh a community God. of Latinos that are so Catholic, right? I just never really thought about it. It was just like, I am proud of where I'm coming from. I'm proud of my history. But I didn't realize it was like such a big deal because in the family that I was from, we were always taught to be proud of where we came from. And my dad always told us, you go and get your degree wherever it is, even if it's basket weaving. I just want you to be the best basket weaver and give it your all. And that was it. So all this stuff, all this stuff that you kids have done, your brother coming out that he's gay, your brother fighting for Latinas and wanting to get into politics, you deciding you're going to convert, you guys fighting for Alma. Your parents never said, like most of our parents said, be quiet, follow the school, do what's right. You know, because so many Latinos, including my own yeah. parents, I mean, I got in trouble too in school and my parents took the side of the of the, of the nuns because they didn't want us to rock the boat. But, you know, we were first okay. generation. And when Latinos are here for multiple generations, we finally figure it out, right? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a first generation immigrant. And so my parents were very scared of everything. So it sounds like your parents were a little more evolved. I think now I know that my parents worry about us just because we are living in a really strange time where politics at one point was respected, like getting into public service was respected. And now you have all these online platforms, social media, and your address is public. So it's very easy for someone to find you. And there's just... There's a lot of, 
it's very scary. A lot of hate. I would say that my mom was a lot more modern because she came from a background where she waited until her late thirties to have kids. And in her family, there was, I think it was 11 brothers and sisters. She was the one that was like, no one understood her. Why did you wait that long? Are you gay? And I think that's why we were raised the way we were was because my mom understood she wouldn't have been able to accomplish as much as she did if she would have had kids early on. Not that you can't, but in her life at the at that moment, she decided to wait until she was ready to have a family. She had her own small business. She studied at the university. So it was, it, she had a very different, she took a very different path than a lot of my family members. So I think that's why. So she understood the value of education. She understood the value of as women to not depend on anyone. And that's what we learned early on. And I think that that's why we are the way that we are is because of my mom. And obviously my dad, my dad worked construction his whole life, worked as work independently. We learned our work ethic because of him as well. He would leave at six in the morning, would work seven days a week. So I think that's so, why. So with all that being said, how did you say to yourself, I know you got involved with the school system first, right? And that's been a pathway for your for your brother too. How do you how did you go from that to saying, I'm gonna run? I mean, that's yeah. like a big leap. Yeah. So I I'm in the state house, a state representative, but so I'm I'm serving both in both offices right now. In Arizona, you could do that. I'm on the school board right now. I'm going on my fifth year. And I was very limited as to what issues I could work on at the school district level, because I also really care about economic development and health care. And there was very little that I could do to actually help. So my brother was currently in the district that I'm in. He ended up running for Congress, didn't win his primary, but I ran for one of the two open seats that there was in that district. So I had already been in the community, had been campaigning for my brother, for myself, for the school district because they overlap. But that was the reason is because I knew that I could accomplish so much more and work on other issues if I ran for the state house, for state representative, where I could actually make laws and Mm. apply funding to the different issues that I cared about. So you you guys just learned how to do it. It sounds unbelievable to me that at you guys' age, you and your brother started just paying attention and figuring out how do you create a campaign? How do you run for office? How do you do all that? How did you guys figure all that out? I think it's important to know that we came from a family that was apolitical. My parents didn't know what they were doing. I also don't come from a family that's wealthy. And that also demystifies a lot of the assumptions of Jew Jewish people is like, oh, they're all rich. They're all white. Like, no, they're not. There's a big community in Mexico City of, of judios, but we actually didn't know what we were doing. I still feel sometimes like I don't know what I'm doing, but in politics, I think this is important for people who are maybe interested in running or curious, like, how did we do it? In politics, the typical is if you are interested in running for office, 
you have to go and talk to the person who was there before you or the people who are there to go and basically ask them for their blessing. But don't they tell you, girl, go away? Yeah. So my brother, when he first decided to run for school board and they still turned him away, they still weren't supportive. And these are Latino elected officials because they were thinking, I'm assuming in their mind, who's this, who's this young guy trying to make a difference, right? Like it just, it, it was not in their playbook because in politics, People plan out their, oh, I'm going to run for this in X, Y, Z years. And it's kind of like a chess game. But we grew but up also, in they don't, they don't really like minorities, people no. of color, and LGBTQ. Oh my so gosh, when you add all God. that, don't they kind of say, olvídate, there's no chance for you. Yeah, right? exactly. Because you're an, a minority within a minority within a minority. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. But... We were lucky enough where we grew up in a household where my parents always said, if someone tells you no, go knock on someone else's door. And we already had that internal, we're not going to take no as an answer. And even if you don't like me, we're still going to be here. And when my brother first got involved, he didn't come out, which was important. The media outed him. So that was really unfortunate. So he was outed on national TV when the whole Gabby Giffords shooting happened. But when he ran for school board, there was flyer. This was a this was a long time ago, but maybe I want to say eight years, eight or nine years ago. This was before social media was a, a really big thing. But there was flyers that went out in our community that said, this is not a real man because he's gay flyers with his picture. And he was so young, but they did flyering events. There was a lot of the Republicans and they, because my brother is a gun violence survivor, the flyers also said, he's trying to take your guns away. So it was just right wing rhetoric that is unfortunate because if I, I think if my brother wouldn't have had the family support that he has, and he didn't have that thick skin because that's all we had growing up. If someone else who was in his shoes would have really survived that public type of attack, it that would have broken. That would have broken somebody. That would have broken anyone. Yeah, that you shouldn't. We should never nor. I don't care if you don't agree with me. You should never normalize. We as a society should never normalize going after someone for their identity, who they are. You can go after them for their and hold them accountable for their policies but to go after someone of the way that they look or the their religion sexuality sexuality that's unacceptable and we should always reject that but that was the start of it we didn't know what we were doing we didn't have any money in my brother's first campaign for the school board but we did have a lot of volunteers and our own family who were able to knock on doors. And that it was just like literally knocking on thousands of doors that was able to win my brother's election. And then when my brother was on the school board, he also found out, discovered that there was a lot of corruption in the district because he was someone who studied everything. And they thought it was someone who was feeding him information, but it was just him reading through what was being 
put in front of him, which most people don't do, even in politics now. And he was able to find that out. My brother said, this is not, we shouldn't be supportive of this. We launched the first recall election of two school board members in Arizona history with no money. And we were young, but we knew that was wrong, that it couldn't be the second poorest school district was being robbed by the people that were leading the district. I'm still on that district now and a lot has changed, but that's important because even if you don't know what you're doing, if if you see something that's wrong, you can do something about it. And you might get enough people that can join you. And that's what we did is we built a very small group of 12 people. Half of them were my family who recalled two sitting school board members and people in politics told us, no, don't do it. You're crazy. You need a consultant. You need all this money. And we were like, no, we don't. I think people just need to know what's going on. You know what? You're you're kind of shocking me because I have to say, I think maybe I'm jaded at this point because I think we watch so much stuff. And, you know, and also, listen, I'm a Latina that came from Cuba and that my parents lost everything. Like, I grew up thinking bad things happen to good people, right? Mm. And I think that with everything we've seen in this country, the last 10 or 20 years, but even like the last 10 years, you almost feel like there's no way to grasp. You're saying you can grassroot it. You can like have a community that believes in something and you can actually go make a difference. And you're shocking me because I guess I didn't, I stopped believing that that was possible, that there's a machine and that if you're not in the machine, you don't get elected. And then we see a lot of people like us that start off with the right ideology and then the machine takes over and then it's, they don't even look like what they started out looking like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what though, you're right. There is a machine wherever you're at. It's people who've been inside of these chambers who have their own people pick their own people, but there is still a possibility we're just one small example, but there is still a possibility of you wanting to make a difference and still not having to go ask and beg for support for people who are not even doing a good job asking them to support you. We're always trying to recruit candidates to to run. I'm also, along with my siblings, think I think that we're very optimistic just because we've been able to help other people run for office, get elected, that we know it's possible. Is it going to be hard? Absolutely. Is it going to beat you down? Because campaigning can get very ugly. At the end of the day, you just have to remind yourself, like, is this worth it? And if it's worth it, then you do it. Even if you don't have an entire roster of people who are supporting you that are like the big people in the community, you can do it. You know, I read a lot about you. I look at your record and you've also, not just that you got these gigs, but which I don't know how you did it, but you've created a lot of bills and you've gotten a lot of bills passed. Yeah. So how so, did you even do that? I mean, people tell you it takes forever to get a bill passed and we can't get it through. And I'm wondering if there's some secret sauce in Arizona, because when I think about places where I've lived, like I'm now living in Florida before I was living in uh, California, it seems to me almost impossible. Like it so feels hardened 
in these two states to get anything through. How did you get like actual bills and legislation? Talk about some of the stuff you've gotten through. It's kind of shocking. It's not, it was not easy by any means, but you're right. Arizona and Florida, I feel like we're always in a competition of who's the most extreme. And I know that the public thinks that we're a blue state because we have had at one point two Democratic senators and we have now our highest elected offices recently in this election are now Democrats. But we're still you can't do anything at the state level when your state Senate and state House are Republican. It's very difficult, even with having those higher offices. But it sounds simple. But a lot of people don't do it is for years, I will go wherever, I don't care if I don't agree with you. If someone invites me somewhere, I'll show up. And that's just how I learned to be supportive of different communities. But that's the most simple advice I can give anyone that is even interested or even sitting elected Democrats who might be in the same position as me is like, just show up. The amount of people who will show up to events that you might not agree with everything they're saying is very like slim to none. And for years, my dad grew up hunting. So for years, there was a Republican. There's been a Republican friend of ours who has a farm in Arizona. And for years, he would do dove hunting during the season, would invite everyone. The only people who would show up to this dove hunting event were my siblings. I was on the school board at the time, but my siblings and my parents, because my mom didn't hunt, but my dad loved hunting. And the rest of them were Republicans. Everything adds on. Everything that you do, even if you think people don't notice, you can start chipping away at whatever it is that you want to work towards. And I wasn't intentionally doing it. I was just joining my family because I thought like, oh, that's fun, right? But everything kind of added up. When I was a freshman, we're in a Republican-led legislature, not by many, but they still call the shots. And I, I heard that there was almost going to be what they call a labor and delivery desert in a rural part of my district, which basically means just like the people say food deserts, that there was at a point, the small clinics were at a point where they couldn't provide labor and delivery services. And it was just, I just couldn't understand how that was possible, but there's not enough births in rural parts of Arizona to be able to fund the entire programs, right? They have to pay staff. And even if there's no births, they still have to pay staff in the facility. When I just thought, I cannot have my community that's close to a border town be a labor and delivery desert. So I made it my mission to drop a bill to appropriate money, so to fund labor and delivery services in rural parts of Arizona. So that was one bill. And then there was, across the country, there was train derailments, if you happen to see them on the news. In my community, there's a tra train yard, which basically means they just, they store a lot of the train cars there. 
But what was happening in rural parts of Arizona, too, that I learned is that in rural parts of Arizona, which is part big part of my district, when there's only one road and there's a train, kids can't get to school, right? Because they might have to wait up to an hour or two hours, or you have an emergency and the first responders can't get on the other side. So what's happening in a lot of states is kids were actually, not in Arizona, but kids were actually trying to climb under the trains to get to school, which is very dangerous. Didn't happen in Arizona, but it was happening. So I made those two my missions of, I need to do something about this. Only about five Democrats were able to have any bills assigned or heard in committees. And my sister and I were two out of the five. And (laughs) the reason why I will credit, it's my friends who I built relationships with throughout the years and the newer people, but I was able to go up to them and say, hey, this is happening in my district. I know you care about life. We can't even deliver babies. Like, did you know that? And then I went on to talk about my other bill. But it was through there that I built that trust with them because they knew me. And then for the newer Republican members, I just went up to them. And and I tell this to anyone, like, I didn't work this hard to just sit in my chair and not try. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing. My sister just said, like, you go talk to them. And I was like, okay. And she's younger than I am, but she is a very good leader. And I was like, okay, I'll go and talk to them. And it was a lot of sitting Democrats were too, I think, concerned of doing that. People follow the protocol. And maybe you young people are like, who cares? I'm just going to do it. And it's like... (laughs) Beginner's luck. You just figure it out and you do. So maybe the answer is we got to get more young people to run for office. Because if you guys start getting rid of all the old people that kind of think like by the book, maybe things will happen. But let's talk about something else. Money. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. You, I know you're very interested in money and in young people and people of color and all this too, which is what I love and what I speak about. Because I go, if we don't focus on financial and especially women being financially self-reliant, if we Mm -hmm. don't understand the financial system of this country, we're not going to make it as a group, as, as, as Latinos, as women, as Jews, as anything, right? So- Let's talk about that because now as you go, as you guys all continue, I mean, I feel, I feel like I'm feeling a family legacy here of the Hernandez family in Arizona, just like the McCain's and all these other people. But if, as you guys go up the ladder and run for bigger office, and I see you all, I'm I'm visualizing you all in such big uh, political jobs, you are going to have to raise a lot of money. And I think um, we have to think about what we all should be doing to make money and save money and invest money uh, in order to make it to the ends of our careers and also not be so dependent on other people, even though the life of a politician is dependent on money from other people, because maybe you can explain to, especially the young people listening, how you can't get all your money from one source legally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you bring that up because 
that does play a factor in everything. I had a full-time job apart from politics. I do consulting and then I had a full-time job on top of having my paid, because in Arizona and in most states, to serve in local elected offices, they don't really pay you. So as a young person that doesn't come from wealth, I had to work, I've had to work multiple jobs to be able to do that. Thankfully, I've, I've been able to figure it out. But I do think it's important for people to figure out how to plan ahead of time. I would consider running for office a life event because you have to kind of prepare for it. If you decide you're whether it's getting married or running for office or buying a house, whatever it is, everything is possible. You just have to figure out how can I do it? And I think that's where trying to figure out what resources are available local to you. Because even if I, for example, had three jobs, I didn't know that I only needed 3% down for my down payment. Like, even though I'm in politics, like you just assume that people know everything. No, I didn't. I just didn't believe it. Even if it's true, I was just like, there's no way. 3%? I thought I needed 20. So you're telling me I could have bought a house a long time ago? And that was recent. Like you said, how as an individual, whether you're a woman or a man, like how can I make sure I prepare myself so I am not dependent on anyone? In politics, you are dependent, but in your personal life, I would encourage everyone to try to figure that what that means to you. Like write out your goals. What are your next goals? And I'm not an expert, believe me, but it's the mentality that as Latinos, as being a majority in this country, we have so much purchasing power, so much. How do we use those dollars is what will make a difference for our for our generations to come, right? I explained this to people. Running for office is similar to running a small business because you need advertising, right? You need a logo. You need people to work with you. So I have a campaign manager. Her name is Berenice. And one thing, actually, I'll credit my brother is he always taught us we need to hire people from our own communities because normally people in politics hire people outside of the state and mostly people that are not from your community. In this case, majority Latino, African-American, Native American. So I will credit our success to the people that helped us but we also need to give them an opportunity to be able to get involved in politics. So we created an internship program, started with my brother when he was running for the school board. It was a very small stipend. I think at the time it was $250 per month. We hired students from our own school district who were interested, but couldn't afford it because politics, there's so many hurdles. One of them for minorities is you just can't afford to do it. And we understand it because we had to do that. When we were involved, in, when we first started, sometimes our parents didn't have gas money. And that was just the reality of like our situation. So we would scrap up money to put gas in our car and then they would go and take us to our volunteer events. But through our own personal struggle of no one understood what we had to go through to even volunteer, that's why we took it as a priority in our own individual campaigns to have an internship program that was paid. 
And I don't care how much you pay them. You just have to feed them and pay them. Like we don't have, we can't afford as Latinos and as minorities to contribute to the same cycle of not paying your interns. And then there's just so many expenses that when similar to personal finance in politics, you have to make a budget. Like how, how much am I going to be able to spend? Okay. If I need, if I have to spend five, they're not a number, $5,000 a month. That means I need to bring in $5,000 a month. That's right. So that requires, and my brother taught us this because he had to do it first than all of us. You have to do things that make you uncomfortable. And as an introvert, that took so much out of me. I remember the first time that I ran, actually ran against a congressman's daughter for supervisor and I lost my race. So not everything you run for, you're going to win. But now I'm obviously in in an elected office I wanted to be in. But I remember just sitting on my bed with a list of phone numbers of people that I knew. And even if it wasn't money for me in my bank account, I still had to call them and ask them. But just like the thought of as Latinos, and I think that's where- Oh no, we don't like that. It's embarrassing, right? That's a learning. Like as Latinos, if we want to take back some power- and work on policies that reflect our values, we have to get rid of some of the old ideas of being embarrassed about asking for help, even if it's not for you. We have to get rid of that idea. This money is not for me. This money is to be able to get me to where I need to go so then I could make a difference for everyone. But I remember sitting on my bed and I was just like, I don't want to call. I don't want to do this. And then my brother's like, I'll match $100 if you could raise $100. And I was like, oh my gosh. But you know I- what? I'm so glad you're breaking this down because I don't think people realize that you have to get money from all these different people. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's not just like one rich person comes along and gives you all the money because they're not allowed to do that. No, so- there's limits. There's limits. So, and it is the thing that scares people of color the most is like, Mm -hmm. how do I ask anybody for money? And you, and it's really not for you. It's like for a cause greater than you in a way. So I think that if people, if young people don't see people that look like you doing it and actually breaking it down for them, they don't Mm -hmm. think it's possible because the way that we're raised is like, Nombre, como, like how are you going to ask for money and how are you going to even like you're bothering people yeah and, there's and, a lot of orgullo right? right like oh no no like we could figure it on our own you can't you need people to support you because like you said in every state that you're in there's limits but I also don't know a lot of rich people so as a young Latina I also don't have a roster of like people that can max out five thousand six hundred dollars it's just not the reality of most people. So let me ask you a question. I mean, you're you're bringing up a very big point. As you go up the ladder in politics, you do get it to a point where then you have to raise millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I've seen the, the Arizona races. I, I remember that a friend of mine ran and I supported him. Dr. Cardona, remember when? Oh Dr. my God, I interned for him. Okay, so Dr. <laughs> Cardona was is one of my dearest, oldest friends. Oh, that's and awesome. We're, and, we're, and so I went and campaigned for him. And, <laughs> and so I just use him as an example because he had been the Surgeon General, right? Mm-hmm. So he was 
not an elected official. He he had gotten an appointment. And mm -hmm. he is an incredible man, as I'm sure you'll attest to that. And then he got in there and it was like the stuff that was coming out about him that they made up was horrific. And I saw him get exhausted because he had to go raise money now from a whole other level. Here's this guy that, you know, didn't even finish high school, gets a G GPA, whatever, G G what is it called? Mm -hmm. uh, a high school. Yeah. GED. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then goes to college and is number one in his class and becomes a doctor total a servant person and then he has to go raise money with the establishment and he didn't win so as you get older into this whole thing and in, at bigger levels do you feel like your next mission is to continue in this realm or do you want to go go and make money first be entrepreneurial do something because you do have a better shot at it if you have your own money than if you have to really raise money from everybody else what are you thinking for yourself? And what are you and what are your siblings? Because now I realize all three of you are going to do big things. So what are they saying too? And you know what though? The conversation about money we bring up a lot because it's a, such a big factor in all of our lives, whether it's campaign or personal finance. It doesn't matter what office it is that you want to run for. If you don't do the work, even if you come from money. You won't get elected because because there was someone that was running a friend of ours that was running for governor. And this is when I was getting involved early start. And I was just like, how are you doing it to raise so much money? And he was like, Consuelo, you just call. And I know that these things sound so simple, but it's not easy because if you're not used to asking for money, I recognize it's not easy. I have to make a schedule for myself every day. I have to do at least two hours of calls. And that go, that is anywhere from asking someone for $50 to $100 to $25 to $20, anything. And because I know that at the end of the day, I have people I have to pay. And if I don't meet payroll, just like a small business, that money, I have to figure it out somehow. So that's probably going to come from my own pocket, which I can't afford to sustain an entire little business from my own pocket. So that's what has always kept me with a little bit more pressures, worrying about, okay, I need to pay people. Um, I don't know what my next plan is as far as like, how high am I going to go up or whatever it is. Um, I will be, I'm running for re-election already running. I'm actually going to be running for the state Senate because the person that was there is not going to run again, requires the same amount of work, but I'm already getting started. I've been in it about running for re-election, asking for money. I love the work so much of solving problems. I don't like the politics, which I don't think a lot of people do. It doesn't matter if you're diehard Democrat or Republican, but I like the idea of trying to figure out how can I help the most people in the positions that I'm in? That's my mentality. And currently, I want to be able to help figure out how can we support public education so we're not at the bottom of the barrel in Arizona. How can we make sure that there's more economic opportunity, economic development, more opportunities for more hiring, hiring, paying jobs in areas like mine, where 
a lot of people don't come and invest, but everything is like a trickle effect because if you don't have a good education, don't have good schools, big companies are not going to want to come and invest. That's why it's everything is so important is supporting the public education. That's why it's so important is like everything has an effect. So I don't know where I'm going to go. I would like to have a small business one day. Right now, I feel like I have a small business because of my campaign. As far as making money, I think that I do. And I learned a lot from Nelly, from you and Nicole. How can I figure that out? Like everyone is so curious. So I'm trying to figure that out for myself. Like how do I build wealth for myself? So then I can help my parents out more, right? That's very important to me. Well, so, and I think it's very important for you to start now because when you start mm-hmm. young, then by the time you're 50 or 60, you just have so many more years to compound that money, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think one thing you should think about that I would say is I think the biggest barrier to entry we have for minority people is financial illiteracy. Like not knowing where, like, it's not just handout that we get, like, it's great that we got a PPP loan or that we get this, but also there's money statewide and federally for Mm -hmm. small businesses through the SBA, through the tax system. And I think that the way that information is delivered is from big banks in a very gringo way, not in Mm -hmm. a way that our people can hear it. So yep. something that I would, I since you love it already, I would encourage you to think about that kind of learning for our communities, because then they'd understand why they also have to invest in a politician that represents them. Yeah. And that's something that is important to me. I was just having a conversation with someone that works for the administration. It was a round table. And we were talking before trying to figure out if there was going to be a government shutdown and People don't realize it could affect your everyday life, right? So we were having a round table and I actually asked our admin, the person representing in our, our administration is, hey, like, thank you so much for being here, but how are you going to help us as local elected officials who only have so much capacity? How are you going to help us and can you help us distribute this information Because so I asked the administration official who was here, please help me communicate what we're talking about here. All these opportunities through the um, Biden infrastructure plan. There's so many tax credits that people can take advantage of that are geared toward low income people. That's why they were started. And I asked her, like, please help. Can you is there a plan? Can you help us do this? And they said, yes, they made a commitment with me. I also invited her to join me on the campaign trail to go and talk to people. But I, as an elected official, I also see that as a responsibility of how can I communicate the services that are available? Because how else are people going to know, right? And yeah, I I hope that if you are interested in, in, uh, if you might not be interested in running for office yourself, but you see someone that you would like to support, please send them $5, $10. They would mean a lot for a lot of these campaigns is getting support from, from people because it's not that easy running as a Latina. And I'm 
I consider myself a double minority, right? Because I'm also Jewish Latina mm-hmm. and people just have these, all these assumptions. Like I know all these people with money and I'm like, no, I don't. I am just like any other Latina who grew up in like the barrio. <laughs> like, Well, let I me don't... tell you, I see really an incredible future for you because and and for your siblings, I want to meet both of them because oh gosh, you guys yeah. are very, very yeah. special. And so I honor you and I just I, I, I honor what you're doing. I want to ask you one last question, but I just want to make you an offer you can't refuse. OK, I am happy to come to Arizona oh and let's God. do an event that for oh a my. fundraiser for you where oh I, I, God, and we'll talk so about much. money <laughs> and that, we'll, make, we'll bring so it from Moneymaker and we'll talk about mm-hmm. money. Uh, I love Arizona. I've spoken there many times. I'll bring Dr. Carmona because he's my dear friend and he'll do anything oh I ask God. him because <laughs> I've, I've helped him raise a lot of money and mm. we will raise money for you. How's that? That I I can't <laughs> refuse that because I need the help. That would be amazing. And I, I would really appreciate that. So we'll talk about that afterwards and let's do it because I would love to support you in that way. And I oh, think, and I think we could really get a lot of people. I know a lot of people in Arizona. I know a thank lot of rich you. people in Arizona. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Now I want to ask you one last question since you've found your Jewish heritage and I'm so, I love it. And I, and I, it's also inspired me a lot how you've handled it, but now you have this whole Israel thing happen. And how do you how do you take that in? You here you are, this person who converted, who had to really study. I don't think people realize that to convert you have to study a lot. Yeah. So you have to really be committed and, and do a lot of work. And now the country that is your homeland, your base of safety forever, is mm-hmm. under attack. How does that make you feel? I think for a lot of people especially jewish people like myself it has been probably the toughest i think we're going on the 10th day today i was never expecting it to hit me that hard and my my parents listen a lot to the news a lot like they're my mom listen she speaks spanish mainly and then english but she she watches all the spanish media And we check in on each other, but just the pure evil, I'm also on a school board, right? So education is really important to me. I've been to Israel twice before I converted, but since I was growing up, I've always heard people say never again, we're never going to allow the Holocaust to ever happen again. And I've never in my life have felt as strongly as I have today of like, I can see how it happened Yeah, because there's the media who plays a big role in disseminating information, who for some reason demonizes the state of Israel. Like just recently I've lost track of time, but with they said that there was a a rocket thrown and killed 500 Palestinians at a hospital the media the new york times for example sent out an emergency communication like a, a op-ed about it the title was like israel killed 500 people in a hospital massacred within like a few hours they changed their headline three times 
But that's too late because too late. that information already went out. People read it. And we have a responsibility as people. We also have a responsibility that's even higher as the media, right? If you're in media, is you should not just send out information without verifying because it could cause a lot of damage. So there was riots all over the world because of that. And it ended up being that it was the jihadist who ended up doing that. But that information was too late. But the way that I have felt as a Lat Jewish Latina is, oh my gosh, um, how is it that the only democracy in the Middle East, the only home for Jews, for Arabs, like that actually welcomes every ethnicity, religion in the world. Like people travel from all over the world to go visit you could be gay, you could be whatever it is, and you are welcome there. And you could walk there without worrying about your safety. And I just, I just couldn't believe, this is Holocaust number two. This is the largest massacre of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Over a thousand people killed. And there's still, what I think people are missing is there's still people not just Israelis, but there's Americans and Mexicans who are held, being held hostage at the moment in Gaza, which include babies, elderly, young people. These are civilians. These are not uh, IDF soldiers that they captured. There's a woman who is in a wheelchair. There's uh, an older woman who has dementia. And who they were parading her around, gave her a gun, and were, were using her as propaganda. So I don't think people realize Hamas is a, it's a terrorist organization. And it's not the Palestinian people. I just have never in my life. Yeah, it's very, it's very disturbing. It's very disturbing. And yeah. as Latinas, that we face all kinds of issues as Latinas. And then add to that, being Jewish. Yeah. And then you have to see what it feels like to be discriminated at that level and the anti-Semitism. And I know you've passed bills against anti-Semitism. So I am just so proud to meet you. I'm here to help you. I think you're oh. going to do great things. Oh, and, gosh, and thank you so much for being on Moneymaker because in the mm -hmm. end we do have to, money is so important in all of our lives and in the world and it's important to understand it. And especially someone like you that's helping so much to bring that information to your community. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Nelly. It's an honor to even be invited. And I appreciate how enthusiastic you are to support other Latinas that are trying to make a difference. Um, I look forward to meeting you in person I, and I really appreciate it. It, oh it means God. a lot that you're so supportive and have given me the opportunity to also share a part of who I am in my story. I've been listening to you guys for years and I was just like, what? I can have a conversation with Nelly. <laughs> and there's a lot, like the Latina voice is missing in your area, right? And when we talk about money, so it's so powerful. And I just want to remind you, like, thank you. That's a big deal that you're there. 
Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.